Welcome to Trial Lawyer View, a podcast for and about trial lawyers. We tell the stories about trial lawyers who go to battle every day in courtrooms throughout the United States for injury victims. This is about their stories and their practices. Trial Lawyer View is brought to you by Synergy Settlement Services. Synergy allows trial lawyers to focus on what they do best by handling the difficult issues that arise in settlement, like troublesome lien resolution issues, Medicare secondary payer compliance, government benefit preservation techniques, and complex settlement consulting. Without further delay, here is another episode of Trial Lawyer View with Christopher Zacker. Welcome to Trial Law Review, the podcast that brings you inside the world of litigation and fascinating stories behind some of the most significant trial lawyers in the country. Today, I've got the pleasure of speaking with Christopher Zacker, an incredibly experienced personal injury attorney based in Arizona with an impressive record of obtaining significant settlements and verdicts for his clients. And I'll read a little bit of background. With over 30 years of legal experience, Mr. Zacker has earned a reputation for his passionate representation of individuals who suffered injuries due to the negligence of others. His practice areas include car accidents, motorcycle accidents, truck accidents, wrongful death, dog bites, and slip and fall accidents. Mr. Zacker is a member of the board of directors of the Arizona Association for Justice and has been recognized by Southwest Super Lawyers for 13 consecutive years. During our conversation today, we're going to dive into some of his notable cases and strategies employees to secure favorable outcomes for his clients. Uh, also want to touch on his client communication uh, approach, as well as dedication to providing personalized services to injury victims. So let's dive into the world of trial lawyer extraordinaire, Chris Zacker on Trial Lawyer Review. Chris, welcome to Trial Lawyer Review. Really delighted to have you join me as a guest today and appreciate you taking the time out. By way of background, what inspired you to get into personal injury law and how did you get started in this in this area? You know, um, I wish there was a great answer for that question. There's really not. Um, when I was, I've, I've always had this um, incredible um, just motivation to succeed. And, um, you know, when I was in school growing up and, and they were, they were passing out the candy bars for the fundraiser or passing out the sign up sheets for this or that or something else. I mean, I was sitting there in my seat waiting for that three o'clock bell to ring, just chomping at the bit to get out there and sell or sign up or do whatever needed to be, whatever needed to be done. I've always just had this really, really great work ethic and this, this motivational level that's off the charts. And so when I went to law school, obviously we get a, an exposure to a lot of different um, areas of law. Um, and looking at each one of those areas of law, the one that I felt fit my personality the best was personal injury, because I've always regarded personal injury as to be an area of the law is the harder you work uh, and the better work you do, the more you can make and, and the more money you can make for your clients and, and the better success you can have. So when I got out of law school, took the bar, passed the bar, started working for a personal injury law firm, which was perfect. The first offer to be an attorney ever came, actually came from a criminal defense law firm. That that spurned into a fairly quick 
offer from the personal injury law from them then to come work for them. And um, I made that decision now um, almost 31 years ago, and I, I, I've never looked back, and I haven't regretted it for one day. Completely identify with all that. When when you were in undergraduate, did you, or, or even before, did you always know that you wanted to become a lawyer, or was that uh, a different path that just somehow you wound up taking? It was a different path I wound up taking. When I was a, I went to Arizona State University for my undergrad, and I was actually an accounting major. Loved accounting, but I, I figured out along the way there's a wire in my brain that makes it incapable for me to do algebra. And at ASU, everybody who's going to be a business major to get into the College of Business, you've got to take your core courses. And one of the core courses was this course called Math 210. Math 210 is very heavy algebra. And I probably tried to pass that course three or four times, and I just couldn't do it. So I had to take a different career path. And I started thinking about law school. Um, I had a friend at the time who was who had just finished law school and was a practicing attorney. So I took him out to lunch and we sat down and I said, I, you know, I'd really like to um, talk to you about the potential of going to law school and becoming an attorney. He said, well, what do you want to know? I said, well, first and foremost, you know, I don't have anybody helping me. I know it's going to be really expensive to get through school. I'm going to have to do it on my own. I'm, I'm afraid of coming out of school in that much debt. And his response to me was, sounds like you don't want to be an attorney. And I said, no, don't get me wrong. Uh, I, I think it's something I'd really like. Uh, I just don't know if I want to take on that much risk and that much debt. And I'll never forget his response. His response to me was, sounds like you don't want to be an attorney. So, I mean, it was pretty simple, right? I mean, do you want it? Do you not? How bad do you want it? You just got to make a decision. And so that's what I did that day. Uh, here we are now 31 years later. And that friend who I had lunch with all the way back in roughly 1988 uh, now actually works for me. Wow. <laughs> that's a great start. I, it's so funny, though, what you said, because I've always said I hate math and that's why I I wound up going to law school, but really I had the same wiring problem with algebra and as a fundamental building block, it really was problematic in, in everything that I did mathematically, except like I really like statistics in undergrad. I was a psychology major and took a stats class and actually did really well. So kind of where you said, oh, you, you're, you know, you're, you, you had an undergraduate major in accounting, so you like numbers, but yet you don't like algebra. Same thing. So completely, completely get that. It's just funny. I love statistics and I was actually great with numbers, but once they started throwing the letters in with the numbers, I just fell to pieces. A question about how you go about things, because I think it's, it's always interesting to hear a trial lawyer's view on their approach to building a case and, and ultimately preparing a case for trial. Can you talk about a couple of the big, biggest challenges you face, whether it's in your jurisdiction or just generally speaking in, in building your cases uh, and, and ultimately trying them? I think, you know, it's an interesting business and it's an interesting profession. And there aren't too many others exactly like it in the sense that I represent a client and I'm trying to accomplish something. And there's an attorney on the, on the other side who's doing his or her darndest to try to destroy or tear down exactly whatever I'm trying to build. 
I mean, you think about that for a second. It, I tell people it's like going to the dentist and you lay down in the chair and you've got your dentist on your right side with their instruments um, and, and they take one of their instruments, they reach into your mouth to do something. And when they're done, they turn back to their instrument tray. Well, lo and behold, there's another dentist standing on the other side of you with their instruments and they reach into your mouth and they're trying to screw everything up that your dentist is trying to do. I mean, there aren't too many professions where where it's such an adversarial system. Um, but I think that's probably one of the biggest biggest issues I see is I'm always fighting against an insurance company, a defense attorney. Uh, it doesn't concern me. I'm not worried about it. You know, I've been doing it for a long time and we, we know how to work with other professionals and ultimately get to where we need to get. Um, but, but that's, that's the hurdle. There's always, it, it's, it's, it's a, what we call a zero sum game. Sometimes somebody's going to win, somebody's going to lose. And, and obviously in the end, if this case goes to trial, you can't always control that. When we get a case, I mean, obviously the thing we've got to keep in mind is what's going to drive whether that case settles or doesn't settle is what likely happens to that case if and when it goes to a jury trial, right? I mean, if, if it's a case where the facts are such that the insurance company or the defense attorney just don't think any way, shape or form a jury is ever going to agree with with my client, we may settle the case at some point in time, but it's going to be for a much lower figure because they're just not concerned about it. There's no risk. If they're more concerned about what the outcome may be, well, then the case may settle at some point in time, but it's going to settle for a higher amount because the risk, they perceive a higher risk. The cases that go to trial are, are the cases where we're just on different pages as far as what we think is going to happen. And you know, doing it for long enough. And if you've tried enough cases, which I have, you know, you can never predict what a jury is going to do. You're going to win cases. You should lose. You're going to lose cases. You should win. And even though I've been doing it for a long time, a defense attorney's been doing it for a long time, all bets are off when they impanel those eight or 10 people to make the decision in your case. So when we bring a case in, we know that we have to prepare it from day one as though it's going to trial. Um, I tell my clients that uh, honestly gives us the best chance of getting the case settled without maybe even getting nowhere near that particular part. Because the better you work up your case and the better you prepare your case, and the insurance company and the defense attorney sees that, they understand that their perception of risk of that case is higher and they're likely going to come to the table with, with a better settlement offer. So that's what we do. Having done the other side, um, right out of law school doing insurance defense work, what I found too was that no matter how much I evaluated the case, sometimes my client, the adjuster, could be personal bias crept in or simply just their position was one of which that they, they didn't buy into the risk. And that's hard, you know, to, you, you can't control for that. All you can do is position the case and hope that both the defense attorney and who's got the paycheck agree that there is a lot of risk in going to trial. Yeah. And we see that a lot, you know, I mean, these insurance companies that we deal with are all over the country. And um, when, when we're handling a case here in Arizona, Arizona law is going to apply. Well, they don't necessarily understand Arizona law, though a lot of them think they do, um, but they don't, and they don't understand the nuances. So we, you're, you're right. We see that all the time. 
we see adjusters that are making what we consider to be silly arguments uh, that really have no applicability to Arizona, um, then, okay, fine, if that's the way you want to do. Um, once we get the case filed, we're going to get an Arizona attorney who's going to understand those nuances, and we probably got a better chance of getting the case settled. We were talking a little bit about this idea of, you know, certain cases settle. When, when, when you know that there's, you know, the, the practical reality is that there's a lot of cases that are simply going to settle out of court, how do you balance, you know, advocating for your client's interests with the reality of knowing that, you know, it, it may ultimately settle, but it may not settle where the client ultimately wants it to settle. How do you, you know, juggle that, those issues? I don't know that it ever necessarily settles for, for what the clients want it to settle for. And I kind of say that in jest, we balance that particular factor on the perception of risk. I mean, every case has its own set of unique facts, circumstances, applicability of law, witnesses, expert witnesses, all of it. And so one of the things I explain to my clients is in, in building the case, in working the case up, it's really what we're doing is we're setting our pieces on the chessboard. So we've got our side and the defense has their side. I hire an expert witness. Boom, that piece goes on the chessboard. I have these five witnesses who are going to support what my client says. Those pieces are on the chessboard. So we're setting our pieces on the chessboard. Defense is setting their pieces on the chessboard, right? I mean, so we get to the end where the deadlines are over for being able to put pieces on the chessboard. And there we are staring at each other across this imaginary line with the next step of going to trial and what what's the lay of the land? What does it look like, right? I mean, and then what are the offers? So if, if, if I've got a case that I know is worth X and they're not offering me anywhere near X and my client and I are going to discuss it and we're gonna say, we're gonna go try the case. That's what we do. Um, if they're offering me X and it's X is just a little bit short of what we think the case really is worth and my client and I are gonna have that conversation. Well, we could go try the case, but there's gonna be expenses there's going to be time, there's going to be risk, there's no guarantees here. So we weigh all of those factors and we, we try to make sure that our clients truly understand the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? I mean, the good is easy. Anybody can understand the good. You go to trial, the jury believes you, they give you a big pot of money. The bad and the ugly are, are the tougher parts. And so it, it, my experience tells me it's more important that my clients understand the bad and the ugly because the bad and the ugly are what create the risk and where this, this taking this case to trial now could go south. So in light of all of those factors, what's the offer on the table? And let's assume that that's the best offer there's ever going to be. And in light of the time it's gonna to take to get to trial, the amount of expense it's gonna to take to get there and the risk of trying this case, you know, depending on what form we're in, state court, federal court, whatever, um, what's the right decision to make? And, and, and my clients typically are pretty reasonable in accepting our recommendations as to ultimately what to do with that case. I haven't been through that process personally. It was interesting when it was my case, um, I, I got hit by a car while I was cycling 2016 and 
the, but I had seen thousands of clients go through that process at mediation in working with um, personal injury victims in the, in the settlement services world, but it was still really, really hard to accept, you know, ultimately that number, the sufficiency of it having, you know, cause personal injury really is, it's very personal, at least for me, it, it was, you know, I mean, it was, you know, all, everything I went through as a result of, you know, the, the driver's negligence and, you know, that, that to me, that process, and it's important, you know, my, my lawyer, who was a friend, you know, said, Hey, Jason, you know, here's, here's the what you risk by going to trial. You know, my suggestion is settle it. And the mediator said the same thing, but it's still, it is still always difficult as the person sitting there to, you know, really come to grips with, this is in my best interest, one, to move on with everything, but two, it's, it's the right thing from the perspective of the lawyers involved, the lawyer who represents me telling me, hey, this is really the right choice for you. You know, when I try cases, I, defense attorneys, their job is to downplay the seriousness of my client's injuries. And I always tell the juries, I mean, you know, a, a serious injury um, is, is exactly what happened here. When the defense attorney downplays it, you know, him, him saying the injuries aren't all that serious, that's because it happened to somebody else. It didn't happen to him. That's exactly, that's exactly what I say. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, before I ask you a little bit more about that, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the business of the practice of law and your firm. Uh, I, I recorded a couple of podcasts recently with um, some guests who were really focused on this, this idea of running a law firm as a corporation instead of a law practice. And there's such a you know, a, a difficult issue in my mind there because it is a practice there. There's some art to it, but there's also these realities of running a business. Just curious about your approach to, from a business perspective of running, you know, a very successful law firm. When I was a young attorney, I got into a conversation with an older attorney. And a couple of times during the conversation, I referred to the fact that I was, my firm was young. I was in the prospect of trying to grow my business and got admonished by this older attorney for calling what I was doing a business as opposed to the profession. Oh, you keep calling this a business. Isn't this a profession? Okay. Um, yeah. And I told him, but it's really both. Right. And we have to recognize that. But I will tell you honestly. So when we started, uh, when I started Zachary Law Firm in 1996, it was me and one other person. Um, we've now grown over the course of the past 27 plus years to nine attorneys and roughly 40 plus support staff. I, even though they're, there is a business aspect to the day-to-day -day of everything we do. We don't really view the case work that we do as a business. That's not the way we handle cases. Um, a big aspect of our business is litigation. So with nine attorneys here, uh, the way we classify uh, the structure of Zachary Law Firm is we have nine litigation departments, nine separate litigation departments. 
And every single one of our nine attorneys are litigators. That's what we do um, with some really tremendous experience. But we all essentially believe the same thing. And what we believe is lawsuits get better results. When an insurance company wants to lowball us or perhaps one of our partner firms that refer cases to us, um, if we believe in the case, we are going to file the lawsuit and we are going to do what we need to do to get our client a better result and, and get our client the result that they are entitled to. Uh, and we don't see that across the board. Um, that's not the industry uh, these days. There are too many of these big advertising law firms that have a big advertising budget that they have to support, right? So the business um, of the law firm might be different for them because they've got these high bills that they have to pay every month. I, I don't have that. Uh, we don't advertise. We don't do billboards, buses, TV. We, I've, I've never done any of those things. So I don't have this big advertising budget. And so my costs aren't any, anywhere near as high. And so when we file a lawsuit, we can really focus on and tend to working on getting the client the best result. Um, with nine attorneys here, anyway, if anybody is has one eye on the, the business side of things, the only one it is is me. Um, none of my other attorneys have to worry about that. So their focus is getting results. And over the course of our 27 years, I, I'll tell you just flat out, the, the results have always carried the day. We've never had to worry about, oh, geez, we're short this month. The results have always carried the day and I give them the time and I give them the, the capacity and I give them the tools and I give them the space to do what they do best. And that is get their clients the best results, whatever time it takes. You're good. You know what you're doing. Get your clients the best results. And that's what we do here. Like that, uh, giving them the ability to focus on what they do best. Hey, that's that's our that's our tagline. So <laughs> De definitely uh, love that one. Well, so since we're talking about your firm, a um, couple questions on that line. Where do you typically get your cases from? Since you said you don't advertise, and you know, I your your focus is just in, in all over Arizona, or is it more local? No, it's pretty much all over Arizona, but that's a good question. So obviously we've been doing it for long enough um, that we get a, a decent number of cases from friends, family, medical providers here in town, uh, former clients. Um, but, you know, for years, a big part of my practice has been to do litigation work, litigation referral work for other attorneys. Um, and we see more and more of that. And so, um, like I said, I've done that for a long time. Um, I get seemingly once a week, I get a call from some attorney out of state somewhere um, with a, a case that happened in Arizona. I mean, Arizona is a great state. The weather's great. A lot of people come here. A lot of a lot of people visit. A lot of people vacation. Some of those people get in accidents. They go back home. They they connect with an attorney back home, and and that attorney might try to handle the case up to a certain point, might not know what to do, ultimately needs to associate with, with an Arizona attorney. Phoenix is the biggest you know, city in Arizona. They need to look for an attorney in Phoenix and they call me up and say, hey, Chris, so-and-so gave me your name. I called these two places. They told me you're the guy who does this. This is what we do. So in addition to doing a lot of litigation referral, referral work for out-of-state attorneys and law firms, 
We also do a lot of litigation referral work for the firms that are here. Like I said, there are a lot of big advertising firms. A lot of firms these days don't litigate. They, they, they bring the case in. They want to get the case settled. They don't have a litigation department. Litigation is not in their model. And, and what's happened just kind of naturally, unintentionally, I promise you, but through developing that model for my firm, um, Zachary Law Firm has actually developed into a niche law firm here in Phoenix because we are a litigation law firm and we are a litigation law firm with a really good experienced team of litigators. And a lot of the work we do comes from other personal injury attorneys and other personal injury law firms, both in Phoenix, throughout Arizona, and then all throughout the United States. When COVID hit a couple of years ago, and we're driving our freeways and there's no cars on the freeways because people aren't going to work and people aren't taking their kids to school in the morning and they're not picking their kids at school. And so there's no cars on the freeways, you know, accidents went way down. And so wanting to stay busy and, and needing to stay busy, it's, that's my personality. Um, I kind of pivoted my focus and I started um, making more direct communications to these firms in town that I know do a lot of advertising, but don't litigate. And, and we've gotten very, very busy with that, with that book of our business. We have a, we have a pre-litigation side of the firm too, meaning accident happened yesterday. They call us up and we can handle that case from day one. But with my attorneys, we have our litigation division and, and all the attorneys are litigators. It's what we do. We stay busy. Other firms refer us their work because they don't litigate. They can't litigate. They don't know how to litigate or they're just too busy. They need to pass this on to somebody with more expertise. That's what we do. And like I said, we really, really believe in filing lawsuits. We believe in the fact we're going to get better results and we prove it again and again. Well, so I know, you know, personally that you've built this incredible law firm and practice there in Arizona. What are the top three qualities you think are essential for success as a personal injury lawyer and how do you cultivate those qual or how did you cultivate those qualities in yourself and now continue to cultivate them with your team? My knee-jerk response would be the top three qualities I believe in are work, work, and work. Um, that's the knee-jerk. You know, I think my favorite word in the whole English language is perseverance. And it speaks volumes in doing what we do because, you know, when we agreed to take on a case for a client, we agreed to promise to devote our time to get that client the best result. And remember, I don't get paid until we, we resolve the case favorably one way or another. And, and along the way, we're spending our own money for experts and investigation and costs and everything else. And not only do I have my time in it, but I've got my money in it and um, achieve, trying to get the best result we can for our clients or we don't get paid anyway. So the number one quality I really truly believe in is work. I mean, I, I know that I have won cases, many cases, just because I've outworked the other side, right? You have to persevere. You've got to be willing to outwork the other side. Uh, you may not have the best facts, but at the same time, you may have a defense attorney on the other side who doesn't really want to work that hard. I mean, you need to recognize that and you have to 
You have to use your skills and your experience and your knowledge and everything we've learned to basically work, persevere, do what you need to do to get the best result for your client. That's what, we hear, what we're here for. That's what our clients expect. And that's what we provide in, in every case that we, we decide to take on. We really focus on that in terms of our negotiating style with lien resolution. It is, you know, understanding what the other side, their, their tactics are, and then outworking them and outmaneuvering them to get the best possible result for the client. So very, very similar. Um, it, you've obtained over 150 million in verdicts and settlements for your clients. Can you talk about a couple of the most notable cases you've handled in your career and what made them particularly challenging or rewarding? Two really come to mind when somebody asks me this particular question. I mean, I could, I've handled thousands of cases and every single one of them kind of tells their own story. But I'll give you two, two things that really come to mind. Um, I represented a lady years ago who tripped and fell um, at the Phoenix Art Museum. And um, she came to us, um, she had tried to contact other law firms and nobody would even talk to her. So talked to her, I liked the case well enough. Her injuries weren't all that serious, but I liked the case well enough and I decided to go ahead and, and take on the case. Filed the lawsuit, we got the case all the way to arbitration. We arbitrated the case, put on a good case, and um, the defense attorney called me up the next day and said, hey, Chris, nice job yesterday. By the way, you know, I know we're waiting for the arbitrator's um, uh, opinion and decision, but um, we'd still like to get this case settled if we can. So we started talking, made me an offer. Um, you know, in light of the facts of the case, like we talked about earlier, the offer was decent. Um, so I called my clients and I laid it out for them. And I said, if we settle, uh, we need this much to pay the medical bills and our fee is a percentage. We get this much. And then when we're done, the amount that's left over for you is this much. And the amount left over for them was a decent amount more than Zach, the law firm was getting for its percentage fee, which is always our hope. And his clients had been somewhat difficult over the course of time. And their response to me laying it out for them was, Chris, that's not acceptable to us. I'm like, oh, geez, here we go. What is not, ac what is not acceptable? And they said, and I, I promise you, I can't make this up. A couple of years ago, when we came to you, you got on the phone and you talked to us. No other attorney would even get on the phone and talk to us. Then you took the case and you've gotten us to this point in time. So we appreciate the number. Um, we think the number is good enough to settle. We don't think it's fair that we're getting more money than you are. So if you'll, what they're basically saying is, if you'll agree to increase your fee, then we will agree to settle this case, right? Well, this may not be a shocker, but we don't hear that every day. <laughs> so, so here we are years later, and uh, it wasn't a big case, not by any stretch in what I've done over my career, but to have clients who were just so appreciative of what we had done and, and perhaps the extra yard we had gone to to 
get them to that point is just something I'll never forget. The other one I can give you is, is substantially different and much bigger. Um, we represented some clients who they lived in Southern California. And in August of 2007, they drove from Southern California over to Tucson to drop their 17-year-old daughter off for her first year of college at University of Arizona. They were driving back to California on Interstate 10, approaching Phoenix. And to make a little bit of a longer story short, a vehicle that was going the other way lost control, crossed through the unprotected median, hit their vehicle, and my client, her name was Diana, she was sitting in the passenger seat, her husband Michael was driving, her six-year-old daughter Sydney was in the back seat. At impact, their car started spinning. Imagine this almost this spinning and you close your eyes for a moment and then you open your eyes again and you're the only one left in the car. Her husband Michael and her six-year-old daughter Sydney had been pulled out of the car and they were killed in this accident. So um, this lady and her two um, teenage children were at the time represented by a California law firm and one of the best law firms in California. And they decided they, they didn't want the case. They didn't want to handle the case in Arizona. They couldn't, I don't know what it was. Well, they had referred it over to one of the top law firms in Phoenix. And this top law firm in Phoenix at that time um, decided that they didn't want to handle the case. It was going to be too much, too much time, too much work, and nobody had ever won uh, an I-10 crossover accident against the state of Arizona. So I reviewed the facts and I said, I need to go over to California to meet with these people. I went over to meet with the family and, and Jason, they were just wonderful, just wonderful people. And I got back to the office the next day. My paralegal walked in when she got here and she just looked at me and she said, we're taking the case, aren't we? I said, Yes, we're taking the case. So we got involved in the litigation. Um, I associated a, a friend from Tucson who had done a lot of highway type stuff. And so we teamed up. This was in about 2009 at the time we finally teamed up. The case went to trial in 2012, February 2012. And up until that point in time, the state of Arizona had never really offered us any money. Um, they made a, a, a very paltry offer. They offered us uh, $50,000 or something like that for the wrongful death of these two people. And we just said no. So we tried the case, took about two weeks. Um, and when you're out, when you're in trial for that long, generally you've got a kind of a feeling as to how long it takes the jury to come back as to what the result could be. Well, we got the call and the jury was back within two hours. We went, oh no. Well, we made a valiant effort, and we we really did believe we made a really great valiant effort for this for this family and this widow, poor widow who had lost her husband and her six-year-old daughter. And so we're in the courtroom to take the verdict, and the judge hands the verdict form to the to the clerk and um, to read the verdict. And the clerk reads the verdict. We, the jury, duly impaneled and sworn in the above entitled matter upon our oaths find in favor of plaintiff. Okay, that's the only word we want to hear. It's the only next word we want to hear is plaintiff. And we heard the word, our client sitting behind us just starts sobbing. I mean, out loud sobbing. 
And we're thinking, Kate, Diana, wait for it because it's not over yet. The jury comes back and, and tells us how much they find the value of the case to be. But there's one last shoot a drop in cases in Arizona because Arizona is what's called a comparative fault state. And, and the jury gets to assess the percentages of fault to all of those who might have fault. And in this case, it was the state of Arizona for not having medium barriers in place and for the other driver for losing control and shooting across this unprotected median and causing this crash. Um, the jury awarded our clients $7.8 million and found the state of Arizona to be 100% at fault. We had to fight the case for another three years because the state of Arizona wasn't happy about it. Ultimately, it went all the way up to the Arizona Supreme Court. They affirmed the verdict. We were successful. Our clients got paid. And, you know, great verdict, dynamite circumstance, um, obviously, for everybody involved. But you couldn't have had better clients, couldn't have had a nicer family to get this result for um, that that case right there is probably above and beyond the the highlight of, of my career. We've had bigger verdicts than that. Um, you know, we've had a lot of good results over the course of my 31 years. But for being, you know, you know, two strikes down in the count when we got the case and other firms not wanting it and shying away from it for the reasons I mentioned and then bringing it all the way and getting that result for such a nice family, I, I there's not much, not much more I could say than that about that case. I try to use uh, case examples like that with our team so that they understand, one, you know, that when we're working on behalf of an injury victim, typically it's something like that that's occurred. It's, you know, a pretty significant, life-changing, life-altering circumstance, but the opportunity and privilege to help someone that's been through that, which is, you know, exactly what you were able to do by getting them justice. And then I'm sure that probably made Arizona think about making sure there were barriers on, on highways like that so that they didn't have that kind of liability um, when somebody does inevitably lose control and crosses a median like that. Uh, you know, it's pretty incredible. Well, you, 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 would, you would think so. You know, it's, it's the people part of it that's real. My, um, my colleague um, who I tried the case with, We've tried, we've tried multiple of those crossover cases and he always ends up tearing up and having to apologize to the jury. You know, I know we're not supposed to do this. I know as attorneys, we're not supposed to get personally involved. I know we're not supposed to get emotional, but it, I've been, I've been working with this family for the past few years and you, you know, you really can't expect me not to get somewhat emotionally involved. And, and, you know, and we got that verdict, you know, 11 years ago, it was, February of 2012, and honestly, telling you the story, um, I'm just fighting back, getting just a little bit choked up again over this poor little Sydney and Michael who who died, and you know the impact it had on uh, on on my clients. Uh, you know, grandpa, the grandpa of this little girl um, testified at trial, and just broke down on the stand it was it was so real and so you know revealing to the jury it was 
it was beautiful. But I, I still to this day, we, we get so involved in these cases um, to know our clients and to get the best results. You know, 11 years later, it's still, you still got to kind of fight it back a little bit. It's, it's amazing. It really is. So actually brings me to another question. Can you talk about the importance of communication and transparency in your client relationships? It sounds like that's something that's really important and a, and a thing that you seem like you are quite adept at. It's absolutely vital. And, and that's what we tell all of our clients in, in all of our cases. I mean, it's a, we're a team. Um, they need to provide me the information that they have. And they need to keep me updated when things change. And I need to do the same thing. And, and I've found over the course of the years, and I tell people this, you know, a lot of attorneys think that it's, it's their responsibility to get a case from, from the, the start line to the finish line. And, and the better result they get, then the better job they've done. And, and I have found that not necessarily to be true. Um, results and the final result that's not the that's not client's biggest complaint, and if if you've been doing it for as long as I've been doing it, and you really are tuned in, you know the client's biggest complaints are lack of communication, lack of communication, lack of communication. You know it's number one on the list. Results on the list is like number five. Clients want to be kept aware of what's going on, but it, it's it's a step above that. It's not just keeping the client aware of what's going on. It's educating the client into what's going on, why it's happening, and how these things work. A lot of attorneys, well, they simply think they need to get this case to the finish line. I need to get the case to the finish line for you. But what I also need to do is I need to educate you along the way. And I'll tell them, this is our first conversation. This is the first day of your education. Because the, the, the better I can help you understand how this whole process works and along the way, why we're making the decisions we're making and what we're doing, you're just going to understand it better. You're going to get that much more out of this whole process, which is your life. And when we get to the end, uh, whatever the final result is going to be, you're going to be that much more satisfied with it because you are going to understand it. But communication is a two-way street. My job is to educate you and keep you informed. Your job is to keep me updated on your case, on your treatment. You see somebody new for some medical care, I need to know who that is because I need to get those medical records and bills. Somebody else you come into contact who might be able to help the case, it's a two-way street. You've got my phone number, you've got my email address. You can never tell me that, that I didn't provide you all the means you need to communicate. Right. We're going to, this is going to be a two way street. This is what we're going to do. We establish that, that relationship from day one. And it really does make for better client relations and for ultimately a happier client and a better result at the end of the day. Interestingly, I, I had a guest on the podcast. Um, I think the episode is getting ready to be released and he's a customer experience expert, but a lawyer. Um, and he was talking about exactly what you were just talking about, this idea of making sure that clients always understand what's going on and what comes next so that at any point in time, anyone could call a client of yours and say, hey, do you know what's going on and what comes next? And they, they, they always know what's going on and what's coming next, which sounds like that's part of your the way you guys work with clients in, in a partnership and, and 
making them feel comfortable with what's going on. We we do our best. We're not we're not perfect, but that's our goal, um, and that's kind of the way we we do our work here at Zacher Law Firm. And so, you know, I can't say a, a client doesn't call. I mean, everybody's different, right? I mean, we've got clients who are more needy, and they call us three times a week and want an update on their case. And but we we need to understand that as well. You know, we represent those people as well. So we need, and I tell my staff, you know what? That person just needs a little bit more handholding, okay? So hold their hand. So give them what they need because this is what they need out of the process. And that's why they came to us and they chose us. So we, we try to recognize that. Yeah, and, and the goal is obviously to deliver the best customer experience you can, which is what I charge our people with is that's important and making sure clients understand what's going on is, is part of that responsibility. Um, you know, since you're... Uh, uh, firm and your practice is, is in Arizona. Can you talk about some of the common misconceptions or peculiarities about um, personal injury law in your jurisdiction? I would imagine it's not much different than most other states. Arizona, unfortunately, a couple just a couple of years ago, decided to open up ownership of law firms to non-attorneys. And we call them ABS firms. They're alternate business structures. And we've seen now our Arizona Supreme Court approve two, three dozen of these ABS firms to come practice. We've seen our Arizona Supreme Court approve two or three dozen of these ABS firms to inject themselves into Arizona. Um, and I don't understand it, um, but Arizona is a, a great state and it's a great jurisdiction to practice personal injury law. Why the Arizona Supreme Court would open it up to non-attorneys and attorneys or, or people who are not licensed in Arizona to do this, I quite frankly have no idea. Um, I think that the greatest misperception is that the personal injury area of law is easy. It's easy money. Um, boy, is it easy money. And, you know, you've got, uh, you know, you know, Joe Doe who gets rear-ended out on Camelback Road at noon today on his way to lunch. Um, and he got rear-ended. So he's hurt. He's got medical bills and he's got injuries. And geez, any schmuck can handle that case. That's easy. Well, my first response to that is, okay, try it. Try it. See how you do. And, and you know what? You may be successful, but it, but you also may screw it up royally if you don't know what you're doing. And that's, that's where I found that attorneys really get in trouble is when they try to handle, handle a case outside their area of expertise. And a lot of attorneys do it. Open up the Yellow Pages. The Yellow Pages still exist. You know, we are a divorce firm. We handle custody disputes. We handle marital dissolution. And at the bottom of the page, you'll say, we also handle serious personal injury cases. I mean, why would you not throw that on there and troll for cases like that? Everybody thinks what we do is easy. You know, it's gotten more and more complicated over the years. And just like medicine, right? I mean, there's... You, you, when I was young, we'd go to the family doctor 
whether you had a cold or a broken arm or an, uh, or an ear infection or something wrong with your lungs or, or whatever, right? I mean, now if you've got a cold, you go to your family doctor. If you've got a broken arm, you go to an orthopedist. If you've got something wrong with your lungs, you go to a pulmonologist. If you had an ear infection, you go to an ENT. Everything became real specialized in the practice of medicine. And I think it's become that way in the practice of law as well. The message just hasn't gotten through to everybody. Everybody thinks personal injury is easy. The perception is personal injury is easy. So why not troll and pick up a few cases and make a few extra bucks along the way? But I found that those are the attorneys that get in trouble and those are the clients that get the worst results because something is going to be missed somewhere along the way. They're not going to understand the statutes of limitation depending upon who caused the crash. They're not going to understand how to deal with medical bills or liens or reimbursement or so many of the complicated factors that come, that come into play once you settle the case. I mean, settling the case for the right number is only step number one. Gee, that just, that just starts the work on step number two, which is medical bill reductions and liens. And is it a valid lien? And do you have to pay this person and how that all works? Because you need to understand all that to get the client the best result, right? I mean, I'll give you another example. I, I had to go do a hospital visit a few years ago to meet with a, a young man who was involved in an accident. He was standing on a corner in Scottsdale. There was an intersection accident. One of the cars was redirected towards him. It hit him. He was 21 years old. And three days later, he's laying in a hospital bed with his, the lower part of one of his legs having been amputated. Met him in the hospital. I was the third attorney they met with. And they wanted to meet and make a decision. And what I told them is, I don't know who you've met with before. I don't really care. I said, I don't know how much insurance coverage there's going to be involved in this case. It doesn't make any difference because there's not going to be enough. Because I don't care if there's, if there's six figures in coverage, if there's seven figures in coverage. It's not enough money to compensate this young man for losing his leg at such a young age. It's just not going to be enough. But, but we'll find out how much there is. However much there is, we'll get it on the table Honestly, that's not the hard part of this case. A trained monkey could get all of the insurance coverage that exists in this case on the table. You could do it. You don't need an attorney to do that. Here's where you need us. You need us then to go to and do the work that's necessary to get as much of that insurance in your son's pocket as we can possibly get. You know, here we are three or four days into his hospital stay and his bills are probably already a half a million dollars. And if the law of averages apply here, there ain't going to be a half million dollars in coverage here. There's not going to. So how are you going to get all those medical bills paid with those medical providers that want to assert liens to be paid and get as much of that money into your, into your son's pocket as we can possibly get? That's where we're going to earn our salt here. That's where our expertise is going to come into play because we're really good with that getting reductions, getting medical providers to flat out waive their bill that they claim is still outstanding. That's, that's the afterwork that needs to be done to get clients the best result. And if you're not experienced, if you don't do this for a living, you don't even know that. You have no clue. And the clients don't know. All they know is they're with an attorney 
who is supposed to know more than them. And these clients walk away with some result that they're told that that's the best we can do. And they have no clue that the person who they hired doesn't know squat about personal injury law, doesn't know anything about all, doing all that after work that needs to be done to truly get the best result for the client. They have no clue. They go away and say, oh, I got screwed. I should have got more. Well, maybe you should have. But, you know, if you had been with somebody who truly knows what they're doing and has a good staff and cares about it and wants to get the best result, then, then, then you likely would have done much, much better. But people don't know that. And it's really hard to communicate that to the public, right? You see the billboards. Hell, everybody in their billboard says, we're number one. We were voted number one. We're top five. Top attorney. No, nobody votes. <laughs> they voted themselves number one. But advertising works. And in, in, a, in a billboard ad or on TV, you can say whatever you want to make yourself the, you know, the, the greatest there is in turn, you know, people don't know otherwise, and that's why advertising works. But, um, yeah, you know, I, I, I've said for a long time, I wish there was a truly an effective means to communicate to the public who, who the people are who really know what they're doing and who the people are who really care. There's not. Um, but we'll, you know, we'll just keep, we'll just keep pushing along and working our cases and, and doing what we do to get our clients the best results. That's the only thing we can do anyway. I can't control all other stuff. Good segue into uh, last couple of questions. The, the, you had talked about some issues at settlement, but, um, and admittedly it's a bit self-serving since this is the area of, of our business focus, but what, what are the most difficult issues related to settlement that you face today when, when you're handling a personal injury matter? Let's, let's assume for the purposes of this discussion, Jason, that the case has settled, right? I mean, getting the right number on the table is obviously first and foremost, but let's, let's get by that. And let's say the client has agreed to settle for X. Now, the next job we have is to do what needs to be done to get the most amount of money into our client's pocket. And that, that then turns to negotiating reductions with lien providers, negotiating reductions with medical providers. And a lot of people don't know what liens are. Liens simply mean that the medical provider has done what they need to do to basically have a stake in the outcome of that settlement. It, it means they've done what they need to do where we can't just ignore them and say, no, nope, we don't care. Our client will take care of you later. We can't ignore them. By law and by ethical rule, we are required to include them in the discussion. So we need to include them in the discussion. And now it, the discussion needs to involve what amount of money they will agree to take, reduce to, to put the most amount of money in our client's pocket. That is, that is the biggest impediment into getting the final, in final the, that is the biggest impediment to getting the final result today. And, and that is probably the thing that a lot of attorneys and a lot of law firms, especially who doesn't do personal injury for a living, doesn't understand. They don't even know how to handle that. But we recognize that. We know that area very, very well. And we're, we're very well equipped to handle that area as well. 
So uh, final question, open-ended, you answer it however you want. What's your view as a trial lawyer? My view of things as a trial lawyer is that, that the landscape is changing. Um, taking cases to trial and getting cases to trial is becoming a dying art. It just doesn't happen much anymore. And, you know, if, if, if a settlement is right, okay, a settlement is right. But, you know, when I meet with a new client and I tell them, I'm a trial lawyer. And if you have a personal injury case, you want to find the best, most experienced trial lawyer you can possibly find. You want to find somebody who's a certified specialist in personal injury and wrongful death. That's a designation we have here in Arizona. 18,500 attorneys in the state of Arizona. And there, I think, are somewhere right around 130 of them only who are certified specialists in personal injury and wrongful death. I've got four of them here at Zachary Wofford, by the way. Um, but you want to find somebody who's an experienced trial lawyer. And people will tell me, I don't want to go to trial. I go with a trial lawyer. I'm good. I, don't, I don't want to go to trial. And that's, that's a misconception. So being with an experienced trial lawyer honestly gives you the best chance to avoid going to trial. Because the insurance companies and the defense attorneys are going to know that you have somebody who's working for you who knows exactly how to try a case. Well, guess what? Their risk goes up. They don't like risk. They don't like not having control. You've got a better chance of getting a better settlement without having to go to trial and getting that better settlement early on in your case if the attorney you've chosen is an experienced trial lawyer. So you want to ask your attorney, tell me about your experience. Tell me how long you've been doing this. Tell me about your trial experience. How many cases have you taken a trial? What are those results? If you get an answer, something like, well, you know, we're good enough that our cases don't go to trial. You know, we get all of our cases settled. Don't walk, run. Because if the attorney you're with has never taken a case to trial, then, then that type of answer, honestly, they're, they're just blowing smoke. Um, they're not the person who's best suited for your case. You need to find somebody who's got the experience to take a case to trial. That's going to get you the best result you can get quicker than, than what anybody else can likely do it because of what I talked about, the risk factor to the, to the insurance company and the defense attorney. Chris, so if um, any of our listeners uh, want to work with your firm or have a conversation with you about Arizona law, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? My easiest way is to still pick up the phone. Um, sometimes we forget phones work uh, still. Um, 602-494-4800 is our number. Otherwise, you can always reach me um, through my website or my email address is uh, my first initial last name, czacker at zackerlaw.com. And we'll include all the contact information in our show notes for this podcast episode. Thanks, Chris, for joining me today. And Thank you to the listeners for tuning into this episode, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for tuning in to Trial Lawyer View. We hope you enjoyed today's discussion and encourage you to tune in to our next episode for more helpful insights about your practice. This podcast is brought to you by Synergy Settlement Services. Visit SynergySettlements.com to learn more about how we allow trial lawyers to focus on what they do best.